Live from Sydney, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Liz Fitzgerald. Liz Fitzgerald is an art therapist with over 10 years experience. She's a clinical supervisor of Masters of Art Therapy at the University of Western Sydney, and she teaches an Intro to Art Therapy course at the University of Sydney Centre of Continuing Education. Liz, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Ike. It's wonderful to have some time to talk about art therapy with you. I want to start with something you mentioned in our discussion beforehand, which is that if you look at the art therapy websites, uh, in America, the, the American one has a definition of art therapy, and then the British one has a different definition, and then the Australian one has a different definition again. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's really difficult to define, apparently, and you um, you sat down and gave it a, a red-hot go before the show? Well, you know, I did, and I, I took a few things from each of the definitions that I think are really important. Um, and I think that we need to have clarity um, mm-hmm. in order for our profession to be understood and so um, I think yeah you putting, have, putting another definition out there today this is your definition you'll read that for us yeah sure um, art therapy is a psychotherapeutic discipline which focuses on the shared experience and embodied thinking around art making in a therapeutic context um, art therapists work to a code of ethics and to procedures and principles guided by educational standards that have been developed over time And art therapy has evolved to reflect the cultural and social diversity of the people who engage in it. Nice. Mm, Thanks. So uh, that that covers, in a sense, the the difference between the American and British ones, different cultural and social uh, situations? Well, I'm not sure about that, but it just felt like the right one for today. Fair enough. And I think that, yeah, bringing some clarity into it, being a discipline as well, is important. Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned something uh, before about something you call the art-making response. Uh, What is the art-making response? Okay, so making an art response, I guess, um, to the work that we do as art therapists with clients is a really important part of of an art therapist's work. Um, We think of it in in different terms. The way I think of it is uh, a counter-transference response. So I'm, I'm putting down on paper or with art materials in whatever way I I choose to, um, an expression of the feelings that I'm holding around the work that I've just done with a client. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it might even happen during a session with a client if if that's something that's applicable at the time and and suits uh, what's coming up. Okay. There's a a quote from a speech Neil Gaiman made that really uh, works for me on this, that that twigged in my memory when you Mm -hmm. mentioned that. Uh, here's, here's the quote. Life is sometimes hard. Things go wrong in life and in love and in business and in friendship and in health and in all the other ways that life can go wrong. And when things get tough, this is what you should do. Make good art. <laughs> I'm serious. Husband runs off with a politician. Make good art. Leg crushed and then eaten by mutated boa constrictor. Make good art. IRS on your trail. Make good art. Cat exploded. Make good art. 
somebody on the internet thinks what you do is stupid or evil or it's all been done before, make good art. <laughs> Probably things will work out somehow and eventually time will take this thing away, but that doesn't matter. Do what only you do best. Make good art. Make it on the good days too. Mm. Well, that brings up a couple of things for me actually. I like the idea of making art. Uh, and using it as a response to a circumstance or a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be good. And something that we, you know, art therapy really uh, draws on is that there shouldn't or doesn't need to be uh, judgment around art making mm-hmm. for it to be beneficial. So, yes, do all those things that Neil says. Make art, make art, make art. But <laughs> it doesn't have to be good. Okay. Mm-hmm. It can be good. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be good. Yeah, Absolutely. Someone comes in for an art therapy session. In, in my head, I have like the basic outline of what goes on. Do you want to? Do you want to just take us through like what a, a session might look like? Oh, that's a tricky one because it really depends on on who you are, um, on what you know your background might be, um, what your story is, um, what your circumstances are now currently. Um, whether you're someone coming in who's living uh, life and coping quite well or if you're someone coming in who's really struggling. So um, there's no one kind of uh, answer to that to that question. But if it was you, Ike, mm-hmm. and you were coming in for some art therapy um, based on me considering that, you know, your life's going pretty well. Oh, thank um, you. There might be some something that's a niggly habit or something like that you might want to bring in. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, then it would really be about um, sitting down, having an assessment around what it is that you're wanting, what the goals of the therapy are for you, and then um, thinking about what, if any, art experience you might have had in the past um, mm-hmm. and how that might influence um, the work we did together because sometimes people with a background in art can be um, really tricky to to let go of that background in art and be non-judging in their approach to their work. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so we really look at establishing safety, you mm-hmm. know, making sure that you're um, feeling safe with the materials you're using. We get to know each other a bit and I might just suggest to make... Um, some art using perhaps oil pastels, um, chalks, perhaps even collage if it's our first time because that lets go of some of the fear around, um, I'm not good at art, I don't know what to do. Uh, so collages are kind of impossible to mess up because I'm not because I'm just taking other people's stuff and sticking it together? I wouldn't say impossible because <laughs> some people can find anything possible. To <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. So maybe doing, you know, tell me something about yourself using collage. Something like that. Rock on. And then we'd like to sit here with a bunch of magazines and cut stuff out and paste it together. Yeah, sure. I mean, <clears throat> National Geographics are an art therapist's friend. They've got fantastic, really evocative images. So often art therapists will have a stack of them. Um, but we'll also mm-hmm. have other magazines too because not everyone wants really evocative images, especially early on in the piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that, so then there's, the, there's a process of like finding out what, what is what's there to be worked with what's what's there to be fo- to to be focused on in some sense mm-hmm. and then there's like the then there's the, the actual art making process and then there's the witnessing mm-hmm. what's tell me about the witnessing 
Well, the witnessing is really the shared experience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's one thing to make art on your own at home or anywhere, really. Um, and you might connect with feelings through the art that you're making. But when we're working in art therapy um, with an art therapist and a person, then it's not just the person making art on their own. It's the person making art in a relationship mm-hmm. with someone else. And that's really important because that other person can see the art and can sit with the feelings that come up you know, around the art making process as well. So it's, it's kind of what, uh, what makes it transformative is not just that the person is making the art and in some sense getting themselves into the piece, it's that someone else is then seeing them in that piece that they just made. Someone is seeing and feeling with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it transforms the, the artwork itself from like a monologue into a dialogue? It does. It brings it into um, something that can be a shared experience and that uh, we could think of it in monologue and dialogue or we can think of it as um, something that has been held and contained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about this thing you just said about the um, uh, people who have previous experience in art can sometimes be harder to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, uh, I remember like, doing a bit of like uh, philosophy undergraduate stuff on like what is art mm-hmm. and there's this um dispute over whether uh craft is an essential part of art like do you need to be able to um like like for, for like the really really great artists the, like they first seem to it seems like they first develop their craft and hone their craft and hone their craft and hone their craft and then afterwards they're like oh, now I'll use my really honed craft to, like, express this thing that I want to express. Mm-hmm. And it's that fusion. Um, and it seems like that there's that, that seems to be two different things, right? There's, like, the craft development and then there's, like, the art-making response. Mm. And mm. Is, is, is that making sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I... Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you're talking about mastery. Yeah. So mastering a, a particular type of art-making. Right. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes when people come in who have had a history of um, making a particular type of art um, and then, you know, it's, it's a little bit about deconstructing that with them so, so that they feel that they can let go and right. not have to focus on the end product. Because with art therapy often, you know, it's, it's as much about the process as the end product. The end product's important in that we can reflect together on the end product, mm-hmm. but the end product doesn't need to be something that's... Um, I guess a aesthetically pleasing artwork or um, good right mm. so the, the the focus sort of you want to shift the focus as much as possible away from how good is the craft how precise the brush strokes and into yep. the what's the person expressing here yeah what's coming that's through right. that's right I mean we can look at it you know through history in, in different art movements um, if it's a bit like the difference between um, the Renaissance, although the content was also important, mm-hmm. um, but moving through to expressionist times, perhaps surrealism, um, where, you know, what's in the image um, is coming from a more personal part of the person, part mm-hmm. of the, the client. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then that, then, then you have the witnessing procedure. What, what is, what's that like? That's a really important part of it. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to just be called witnessing. I think um, the seeing part is important. Um, It's not just witnessing the artwork. It's also um, sitting with the feelings and holding the space with 
the person that we're working with or the group that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that shared experience of a feeling being heard and perhaps seen um, is really powerful. That's a very powerful um, part of the work that we do. How, how would you um, balance between or... or do you have a do you have a preference between sort of looking at that looking at the work that someone will make if you're making work with someone and looking at that work and saying oh what i see in it is this versus yeah. what do you see in it yeah we don't interpret the work you don't interpret the work we don't interpret Just, the work no, okay so what we will do is we'll allow clients to see in in their own time and at their own pace whatever they need to see in the work but we will sit with the feelings that are coming up around it as well. We mm-hmm. might suggest that it's a really powerful image or that it's, you know, there's a lot in there and see what comes from that for the client. It's rare that we're going to put words in their mouths because that's not our role. It's not something that will be helpful in any way. Um, mm. It seems like there's a there's something, it, it's sort of like the, the flip of this modern idea that, that the, the viewer in some sense owns the piece. Mm. Like there's this, there's this big, I don't know, discussion in, in literature, you get this and I get this. It's like once you've made an artwork and put it in the world, then it belongs to the other people. Yeah. Very, very easy to misinterpret stuff. It's really easy to misinterpret art. And so, you know, one person's um, red might be angry, another person's red might be happy. Um, mm. One person's black might be love, another person's black might be uh, fear. You know, there are so many different levels of interpretation and really it's up to the individual wait people there are people who depict love as black well you never know there might be fair enough and if they want to that's okay okay we're not gonna say yeah how dare you in this house (laughs) that might not be a great example but i'm not going to suggest that something being something without having been in the space with the person when they made it and having an understanding of the person's issues, um, underlying, you know, feelings. And I think it brings to mind an artwork once. I remember in a group, um, a woman making an artwork, and everyone in the group said, oh, that's great. That's in reflection time. That's, I love that painting. It's fantastic. You're so talented. Mm. We, we really try not to encourage judgment, including yeah. positive judgment. But what transposed in that, group was the you know the image that looked so beautiful and happy and wonderful to the group was actually about a really tragic event in that person's life mm-hmm. that she was wanting to connect with with the group and it was powerful in that she was able to say that to them but right. just as an example of you can't tell just from looking at the image that this person's connecting with a positive or you know yeah sure mm-hmm. it, when okay so just like I'm, I'm in my head I'm still going through this this a possible art therapy procedure okay right? so then there's the there's the art making time for during that time is there like guidance as to what sort of art someone should be trying to produce like is there a focus point something yeah. they're aiming towards Look, there are different ways of working some art therapists will be quite directive in their approach okay and other art therapists will be less directive and more um, about just allowing the client to come up with what they need to in the space. But in the early days, um, you know, in early stages of art therapy, establishing safeties, it's, it's usually a little bit more directive than 
um, down the track when it becomes more open. More freestyle. So if you're still in your first yeah. or second sort of session with me, maybe we'd be you'd be doing your collage, um, maybe connecting with something about yourself that you'd like to share with me um, or not, you know, something about yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have an option um, to reflect with me on that. And everyone is different. Every person is different. There's no prescriptive correct way to conduct an art therapy session. I think it's like any psychotherapy. We tend to go with the flow a little bit in that we allow what needs to emerge in the space to emerge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's important to keep it safe. And so there is usually a reflection time at the end so that if anything is um, coming up that's difficult for the client, then there's time to sit with that together and um, think further about supports or... Um, you know what might be needed for the client after the session. Okay, so there. So if I understand correctly, there's a there's a sense in which you, you want to be like maximally open to whatever is trying to emerge in the moment, and at the same time, especially in the early stages, you might uh, help someone out by giving them something of a scaffold to work towards mm-hmm. or to build on. Is that roughly correct? Like, a scaffold to build on is a nice analogy, a nice metaphor. <clears throat> a scaffold reminds me of, well, a structure surrounding something to kind of keep it safe. And I think that it does come mm. back to safety. It stops it from falling apart if mm. the scaffold is there, but it also allows you to get to places that you need to get to. Um, I think, you know, clients will generally um, connect with what they need to connect with in a safe way. Yeah. It's it's unusual for clients um, to, particularly in uh, early stages, for clients to, yeah, to need too much scaffolding. Okay. Mm. So bring it down to, like, the very object level. Like, someone comes in, they have a habit, they, they're not a big fan of, that they're trying to shift. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's, I, I, the one that jumps to mind is, say, smoking. Mm-hmm. Take the default. Someone comes in, I don't like the fact that I'm smoking so much. Like something, would the, would the art stage be something like make a collage about smoking or make a collage about what feelings around smoking or would it be something completely different? Well, it depends on the art therapist, doesn't okay. it? I think it depends on the approach that people would take. And I, it's hard to answer that um, on behalf of all art therapy. But I think, <laughs> I think, Fair enough. But I for you think, it's... For me, someone came in with that well we'd, we'd probably think about you know um the feelings that are around mm-hmm. when someone's feeling like smoking mm. Mm. making maybe an image around um how it would feel if you didn't smoke mm. Mm. what would your life be like if you weren't smoking that's interesting mm. i mean that's just coming here but again it's always in this time and the space of that because it's not a prescriptive therapy and everyone is different. Everyone will have a different reason for smoking. Right. Mm. And you, you ultimately, you want, you want to be responsive to whatever it is that they're yeah. bringing in. Mm. Okay. So then they'll, they'll make the art um, and then your, uh, you'll move through to like the witnessing stage, the seeing and the being with the feelings. And sometimes that's right throughout. Sometimes that's from the get-go if we're sitting with them while they're making the art. Oh, so sometimes you don't sit with them while they're making the art? Sometimes we sit with them while they're making the art. Sometimes we won't. Again, it depends on what's comfortable and safe for them. Right. So in the beginning, maybe I won't sit with 
with someone and then towards you know further on in the therapy I might they might be really comfortable with me sitting with them so I can but the witnessing isn't only at the end the witnessing is also during the process of the art making mm-hmm. okay. so we're attuned to what um, I guess body language the person might have as they're making the art how they're using the materials um, whether they're um, expressing themselves not only through the image but also through the use of the materials. Okay. So, so let's go with this imaginary example, which I'm, I'm really digging, of someone comes in, <laughs> they're smoking, they don't like smoking. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, here's a... Make, why don't we make a collage of what it would feel like to not smoke, what your life would be like, and so they stop imagining that, right, constructing this mm-hmm. or allowing some image to emerge and like, oh, well, I could, you know, get back into running and, and maybe there's some joggers on the piece or whatever. Um, and then at the end, like those, the feelings that came through are discussed and, and yeah. the images maybe are discussed. And then that person takes the artwork home. Does that happen? Yeah. See, you know, it's, it's a tricky one because I'll say it again that everyone's different, but if someone's coming in, I, would, I wouldn't work... Um, probably just once with a person. Mm -hmm. It would be um, an agreed number of sessions. And the way I would work is like a minimum of six, say. Really? Yeah. Wow. Minimum of six. Well, I I don't know if all art therapists would do that, but, I mean, working in services, we try and and see people for as long as possible. It's a great long-term therapy Mm. as well as a medium-term therapy. Um, But one session isn't going to... Isn't going to cut it? No, not really. I'm afraid not, like. One session <laughs> is great to open up uh, possibility for people that there right. is an internal part to them, that they have an inner world, that they, they can uh, start to think about self-awareness. But one session and then not coming back, that would be unfortunate, I think, if there was a possibility of coming back a bit more. Because one session isn't going to stop someone from smoking if they want to smoke. Right, right. But it might open up a little bit of thinking for them around why that they might not have thought about before. Okay, and that and that sort of opens up the possibility of this whole this whole new side of things that they might not have seen before, like that that inner world mm-hmm. that they can now access through this art. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's fast forward then another like three, four, five sessions. Mm-hmm. So now they could be making like really different sorts of pieces mm-hmm. still on the same topic like um, I, it, would it be would they be like a would it actually get more broad more freestyle something would it go deeper what I mean I get that every situation is different yeah. yeah it really depends on the person um, I'll take it away from the smoking analogy and sure. think about it as someone who might have had an, uh, a difficulty in a relationship yeah. because that will, you know, to get to, the, and in fact with smoking, I think it's the same with any addiction, to get to um, the basis of, of where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, they might decide it's time in their life to address whatever it is that's behind the needs for that addiction. And oftentimes that's trauma. Mm-hmm. And then they might work on that. The art therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm. And is this something that, uh, like I remember we were discussing a little bit before about this, um, is art therapy like a, a profession or a discipline and how does it differ from other, mm. from other similar related fields? 
what would you say, like, that there's a sort of schematic I have in my head, I don't know how accurate it is, if, like, someone comes into a therapy, any sort of therapy, sure. and, you know, there's processing, there's hopefully, like, uh, honest talking and genuine listening and, you know, a, a genuine intent mm-hmm. towards something better. And then after a few sessions, it's like, okay, if the therapy was, was broadly speaking, successful or useful, then, like, things are a bit different. And they're different often, like, in, you know, the person feels more at peace or, like, feels, like, more in tune with what's going on in their inner world mm-hmm. or, like, better better socially adjusted or whatever that is. Like, there's, there's a set of benefits that sort of, what would you say, it's kind of common across therapies and then there are just, there's more unique benefits therapy to therapy. It, is there something that's, like, very uniquely and specifically art therapy for you? So, well, that's kind of around what differentiates art therapy from other therapies. I suppose so. Yeah. I think that one of the things that really does differentiate art therapy is that when people are making art they're accessing emotions yeah um, they're accessing feelings they're accessing parts of themselves that and you know unconscious parts of themselves um and they're coming from a, a place uh which they probably won't necessarily connect with in a talking therapy but they might connect with in say music therapy or another expressive therapy um so you know, coming from that creative, expressive place, um, that differentiates art therapy. Mm. And the fact that people are connecting with that part of themselves in the presence of someone else who is also attuned to them is mm-hmm. really powerful. So having that experience of um, allowing ourselves to connect with our inner world non-verbally and then have that held by someone who's attuned in that process. Right. Hmm. Beautiful. Hmm. It's interesting as you're saying that because I'm, I'm, it occurs to me that there's a most, almost all forms of therapy, the, the um, grunt work is primarily verbal. Mm-hmm. Like most of the heavy lifting is done by just by talking about stuff. And that's a... Um, I mean, it's obviously immensely useful in a lot of ways, but it also, it's also very limiting in the ways to get at stuff, mm. let's say. Yeah, and that depends on the type of therapy. I think in psychoanalytic therapy, uh, there's a lot of nonverbal communication going on between the therapist and client as well. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you think of the transference and the counter-transference that's around... Enlighten um, me. I'd... Well... The, the projections, the feelings that are in, in the space. I'm thinking, I guess, of limbic resonance. I think that's the phrase that comes to mind of connecting with a particular part of our brain uh, with a client. Mm-hmm. And I think in art therapy, um, that, that's a big part of the work. Okay. I, I feel like what you've just said is, mm-hmm. is sort of like the... Um, like the opening couple of lines of like a Wikipedia page and like all these links are blue and I want to click on all of them. What's transfer? What's counter transfer? I vaguely remember That's for this. another day, like. Oh, okay. Okay, so fine. We'll leave transference. Limbic resonance. This is, I'm, I'm thinking here of mirror neurons. Yeah. That's I'm on the, the right track. Thing. Yeah, you are. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not um, a neuroscientist, but I'm really interested in um, the developments in neuroscience around what parts of our our brain are affected by art making Mm -hmm. but also what parts of our brain are affected by connection 
with another. Well, when it comes down to where people and people um, don't do too well alone, right? You know, we do a lot better with someone else connected to someone or people, other people. Um, so it's a really healing process to be um, connecting with ourselves and our inner world at the same time as connecting with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that limbic resonance speaks to that. I think, um, well, you know, through connection, um, we can see that new pathways, um, neural pathways can be developed. And I think that comes back as well to the idea of babies um, and caregivers. And, you know, when a baby is developing neural pathways, the connections are really important that they have with their caregiver. Mm. Mm. Um, and so adverse childhood experiences can affect neural pathways. Massive. Yeah. And so that's uh, where trauma kind of comes into the picture. Do you um, hear about the Romanian orphanages in yeah, the 60s? Oh. That's right. It's like you, you just you, you raise a baby, you feed it, you clothe it, you bathe it, you put put it in a warm bed, but you don't hug it and they just die. Yeah. They just die. Yeah. Nice. No, it's... it's it's so true, and I think that that's something that the expressive therapies, art therapy, music therapy, dance and movement therapy, maybe drama therapy, all of the expressive therapies I think are um, really important in that people are connecting with their creativity at the same time as connecting with others. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So something that's coming through for me just now, just hearing you say this specifically with like limbic resonance as, as a key feature is that if you sort of imagine the general like process of art making or one of the big traps is like, you'll sit down and you'll start trying to make something. And then like, while you're doing it, like, ugh, this is dumb. Is it even good? Ugh, mm-hmm. whatever. But if there's someone else there and their job is I'm with you in this art making and I accept whatever it is you're making. Yeah. And whatever it is coming through is more than good enough. This mm-hmm. is great. Then, like that sort of um, outsources that that whole field and sort of just bypasses a lot of the anxiety about mm-hmm. solitary art, art creation. Yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely, and it also bypasses having to talk about it. Hmm. Mm. Bypasses having to talk about it. Mm. To talk about like the art, or to talk about the stuff that we're making art about. Both. Okay. So if the um if it's something unconscious that a person is making art about and they're accessing feelings around a memory, they can do that in art making without having to talk about the events of the memory. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be really powerful because um, we don't want people to have to reenact their trauma. Yeah. But we want people to connect with the feelings around the trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And that can be done through art making. And it doesn't have to be a narrative of the trauma that they're showing us through an image. That can just be a colour on paper that connects with a feeling that they've had, mm. which can be very powerful as well. Mm. Yeah, so it's quite complex, like... Symbolic representation. That's right. Like they can, someone could just draw a flower and that flower for them means like this huge amount of stuff. Yeah. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, on, on that subject, I, um, I heard something really interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend about this like a year or two ago. Um, <clears throat> about this, there's a fundamental pattern that exists uh, uh, between, what is it? 
between villain, victim, and rescuer? Is that is that um, the trifecta? It sounds familiar. Okay, I, I'm trying to because I, I think it was I think it was like either in art therapy or something adjacent, where it's like there's a there's this fundamental interaction that's constantly happening where like someone's playing the role of a victim, someone's playing the role of a villain, mm-hmm. and then someone's playing the role of a rescuer. The one person. Well, sometimes it's like everyone's playing all those three roles in different parts of their life, mm. but like getting to the uh, bottom of, of like that pattern yeah. was like really important. It's really important. It reminds me a little bit of internal family systems therapy or components-based therapy the, the, mm. where we work with parts where people, you know, you work with what, different parts of yourself. Yeah, I, I've, um, I, I'm somewhat familiar with this. For, for those at home who are listening, could you give us the basics of what family systems therapy is? Uh, internal family systems therapy. Internally family. So that's, I don't really know the terms. I think there's a firefighter and different aspects of um, our inner family that a person might have. Uh, a rescuer, I think, is the firefighter that mm-hmm. you mentioned. I'm um, not too sure of the others, but the idea behind both that and also components-based therapy is the idea of different, all of us having different parts to ourselves that take on different roles at different times, protective parts. Um, in the past, perhaps they're called defences, mm. you know, ways of um, protecting ourselves from adverse events or from anxieties. Um, and so I think, is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah. It was, it's interesting you, you say that, like that's, that's sort of my understanding too, but it's interesting that you say that... Um, in the past, they were called defenses. So I feel like there's this there's a sort of shift where it's like mm-hmm. it used to be. It's like, well, I'm this upright citizen, and I know what's going on. And then everything else that's inside is just like, oh, some form of fib that I'm using the mask. Mm-hmm. But now there's like the the uh, what this emerging understanding is mm-hmm. that um, no, there are actually like a whole lot of subpersonalities mm-hmm. inside a person, yeah. and they're all like real parts of the person. Mm-hmm. And then, like, those can be, what, individually invited to talk. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are art therapists who work with dissociation. Um, if we work with people with parts, um, that can be an important part of the work. And art therapy is a great way of connecting people to different parts. But, you know, in order to get to that point, it needs to be really safe and people yeah. need to be probably in a long-term art therapy environment right that's that 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 stuff doesn't go into the opening collage that if you it does it'll come in sometimes but okay. whether or not you see it is another matter altogether you'll see it when you're ready fair when you feel safe and so we'll definitely work with you know honoring any resistance that people might bring in mm. so if, if something comes up that's um you know for any reason um uncomfortable and not wanting to be sat with yet or not wanting to be spoken about that's we respect that it's there for a reason and it's usually for a way of keeping a a person together and keeping them protected Mm -hmm. from big feelings that could overwhelm them nice do you have a um like i know i know there's obviously no substitution for actually coming in and doing a series of sessions (laughs) with someone who's good but for people at home who are who are hearing this and who think oh wow that sounds great and who want to rush off and try some mm-hmm. making some art that's therapeutic do you have any like guidelines for using the wisdom of the field and people's own either by themselves or in groups like well groups are great and i i do um work with groups a lot 
Do you work think, with groups a lot? I do. I really enjoy working with groups because, um, one, it's much more accessible for a lot of people to come to a group than to pay for individual therapy, mm. uh, considering art therapy is not subsidised government. So groups are a fantastic way for people to connect, again, you know, to connect with others while um, also connecting with their inner world. And that's a really, it can be a really powerful experience in a group. But as far as working on your own at home, you know, that's not art therapy, but it is art making and it's therapeutic in its own right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, without the art therapist, it's not art therapy. Um, the way I see art therapy, the way we define art therapy as a profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone, you know, like you said in the beginning, make art, make art. And then if you make art and look at it one day and think, what's that about? Or, you know, you have a real response to it and think, um, that's changed how I'm feeling. Mm. Well, maybe consider taking it to an art therapist mm. or going and, and doing some art therapy. Right. Mm. Okay, well, okay. Let's let's talk about this. Um, the the idea of, of art in groups. I find that like I have I have some friends that I'll like you know I'll t- show them my sketchbook yeah and they'll show me their sketchbooks. And um, something that's interesting for me is I find that I'll be I'll be, uh, you know we'll be looking through these artworks and then often it'll be like oh I I like this mm-hmm. and maybe I like this, but then there's this sort of there's a sort of willingness to talk about deeper stuff in the art, but there isn't really an obvious conversational pathway to there. Is there like, are there any, what, are there any um, ways of, of, of approaching conversation about art that can lead to deeper conversations with people around it? You mean like you want to have your friends as your therapists? Well, I mean, friends are always therapists anyway, to some degree, you know, but like... They are. So, um, there are different ways of, of looking at your art. But, you know, things to consider are, you know, who you're with when you're making the art to begin with. Where, mm. where were you? Were you in a place on your own? Were you with someone else? Were you in a comfortable place? Were you um, in a place where you were feeling anxious? Um it really, it's a really hard question to answer, Ike, because everyone is different. Every set of friends is different. Mm. You and your friends with your art might be looking for answers to something. And then I would suggest, you know, if you're looking for answers, read about art therapy mm. because there's a lot written out there. There's a lot of really good uh, literature Um and that might give you a little bit more insight into some of the concepts of art therapy, but um, for you know, in your own practice of art making. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a it's a great way of communicating with your friends if you're showing each other your art and you're um, connecting with each other in that way because you are um, sharing something really personal, intrinsically yeah. personal, and so you will get to know each other at more depth. Mm-hmm. I don't really have an answer to any suggestions of how to make that go deeper. <laughs> okay, so then let's, let's try it this way. I, I can think of a sort of more specific yep. example. Someone shows you their art and you're like, oh, that's nice. And they're like, oh, thank you. What, how do you then make it sort of give them permission, in a sense, to talk about their own art in a way that's more real or deeper to them? 
Does that make sense? I don't think you need to give them permission. I think they need to give themselves permission. And I think that's mm-hmm. where defences come in and protection and honouring what people want to share and what they don't want to share is important. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should push people. Sure. Mm. But if they want to be able to express where they were coming from, just to, to be open to that. The more we're open to listening and sitting with and being with each other, you know, the better the world will be, really. Amen to that. Yeah. Is, is there... Uh, so obviously, like, the actually genuinely being open to to what they want to share about the piece is, like, central. Are there, are there any ways of making that explicit for them? Like, have you found that there are specific things that you say to people that make them go, oh, now I want to, you know, my, I wanted to talk about my art and now I feel safe talking about my art here? Like, I feel like it'll be... Yeah. Well, what it's reminding me of is the opposite, is being at art school mm-hmm. many, many moons ago and sitting in the critique section of the the lesson. So, you know, at least once a week we'd have a critique where we'd all sit around and have to critique each other's work. I'm, I'm working up some anxiety it's just so thinking about it. It's so anxiety-provoking. <laughs> and I think um, that, you know, the idea of art being judged is painful because it is personal. So if your friends are making mm. personal art, rather than putting your own projections onto the art, just asking them what it's about. Where's it, it about? From? What's it about? What's it about? Can you tell me more about it? Where's it coming from? Can you tell me more about it? Yeah. Just simple. But rather than, um, you know, one thing we don't want to do is project our own views onto other people's art. That's where the interpretation all comes into it. And we could go, we could take someone way off the mark. Yeah. It's so. like, it feels to me like that's a profound act of psychic violence in some ways. To like receive <laughs> yeah. a... a, a um, someone's piece of art which is like you know in some sense like a missive from the mm. deepest recesses of their soul mm. and then to be like oh what this one means is yeah. and just and you know, stuff at it. sometimes it is from that place that deep place um i think at art school sometimes it's not necessarily from <laughs> that and you learn really quickly not to let it come from that place because it's dangerous because right. it's going to be a critique right yeah wow that's horrifying yeah well i think that it's, it's so important that we do have avenues like art therapy so that people can really connect with and, and create without that fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Do you have strong opinions on the way art is taught at schools, like primary and high school? There's not enough. Not there's enough. just not enough in primary schools and in the public system. There's not enough art being taught to kids. Um, and in high schools, it's growing, but I, I don't think that enough emphasis is placed on art. I know more recently with the STEM education in our public high schools, Mm -hmm. um, science, technology, engineering, maths, they've recently added um, A, STEAM. So it's STEAM, science, (laughs) technology, education, uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. So the arts are being spoken of as important, but whether or not um, that's actually being dealt with on the ground is another thing. And I think that there could be a lot more art therapists in schools as well mm-hmm. with school counsellors. Right. Mm. It's, it's, um, have you, have you ever seen it done really well? Like school art education? School art education? Yeah. Really like, well. have you ever, have you been yeah. in, a, in an art school? Oh, there are some great schools around. Um, I'm thinking, you know, when you're asking, I'm thinking public. Sure. School. But, um, you know, in the private 
I think private some private schools have a, a nice focus thinking of there's some up in the Blue Mountains um, that come to mind that are really very creative. Have you had a, an opportunity to check those out? Well, I don't actually work in schools, so not particularly. Fair. Mm. What What about um, parents and their kids? Like when when a when a child comes home with a piece of art, right? What's what could a parent do that would be like a really good idea and what's like yeah don't throw it in the bin don't throw it in the bin don't throw it in the bin how how do we feel about putting it on the refrigerator putting it on the fridge is great and leaving it there for a while and if it becomes overwhelming take a photo and keep it but if the child knows that you're valuing the art then they'll value the art Mm. and they'll feel valued as well and it's making me think again of I, I don't think I answered a question before when you asked if a person takes their art with them yeah. from art therapy um, and that was you hypothetically coming so that you weren't you know um, continuing a bad habit and you were coming for maybe one session then you might take the work home one session yes the client would take it with them most likely but it's very unlikely to work for one session so right. um, generally we keep the client's work and that's a quite an important part of the work we do and it's one of the dynamics that we kind of think about um is when yeah, when someone makes an artwork, a lot can come up, and we want to provide a space to contain that for them, so that mm-hmm. we can keep it with us, and they don't have to take it with them, and have it with them until the next art therapy group or session. So, uh, it's when a I work, liberating thing in a sense. Oh, it's it's kind of a safety thing for them. Mm. It's a containment issue. It's, it's about us being able to hold um, what they bring, and them trusting that we can take care of it until the next time we see them so it has lots of different layers to Mm -hmm. it um so usually towards the end of um therapy then we'll discuss you know what we'll do with the artwork and if they want to take it with them they can um otherwise sometimes art therapists will hang on to it even after the termination of the therapy um and you know working i've worked in acute mental health units and sometimes people in psychosis will come up with art that's quite scary for other people to look at and um, you know it's not ideal for them th- to then take that back to their room and put it on the door um, <laughs> so we can yeah, look after it and make sure it's safe so it's for them and also for other people if it's in a hospital setting sure um and then sometimes people want to throw their work away when they're making it um, but we really think about um the importance and the value of the art mm. and then we try and think together about the reasons why it's being discarded or if they're too young to think about that yet, um, mm-hmm. perhaps putting it in a separate folder or I think some art therapists make a little attached section to the folder for the discarded pieces. So there's a lot of thinking that really really goes into every aspect of the work, mm. including that. But then often, often artworks that someone makes, like session one or two, will come up again in session five or something? Everyone's different. People can come back and look at it and sometimes that's great because when we were talking about, you know, dissociation before and sometimes the art made um, in a session is completely forgotten four weeks later and mm-hmm. a person can look at it and not recognise it. And then we can start thinking about, well, I wonder what was going on when you made it. Yeah. Or not. But every person's different, so it really depends. I find that I find that very intensely with some of my old sketchbooks. Like mm. I'll dig them up. Even once they're a couple months old, I looked at them like, wow, this guy, he gets me. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't remember making this piece at all. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. It does happen. And it's, it's like you said before, we all have different parts. Yeah. And mm-hmm. art making is a way of connecting with them. As well. Well, it sounds like, it, it definitely sounds like you're making your little corner of the world better. <laughs> uh, what, what's your vision of a better world? Well, thinking about art therapy, mm. I'm thinking a better world for art therapy would be more art therapy. Um, being <laughs> more being of taught, it. <laughs> being taught in, you know, um, psychiatric training, being taught in psychology training, just the, the principles of art therapy, um, not so that psychiatrists and psychologists will necessarily use art therapy in their work but so that they can understand the value and refer their clients to art therapists when needed if people need to access uh, parts if people need to work on deeper levels of themselves so that's one thing Mm. just more um, I guess acknowledgement of the effects and the um, value of art therapy but also more funding for art therapy Mm. so more philanthropic people organisations putting some money into art therapists to work with, you know, disenfranchised people, people who are struggling, people in refuges, people um, with addictions. Um, well, there are so many disability. You know, there mm. are so many different avenues. There just needs to be more funding um, and more, you know, just general acceptance of the importance of limbic resonance and um, connection, connection between people. This limbic resonance you're talking about, uh, when you say more understanding the importance of it, do you feel like that's that's falling away a bit in the digital age? I think that absolutely that the age we're in now is a really tricky time for people to feel connected. Mm. And I, having said that, I do some work over Skype, mm-hmm. and it is still possible to have that connection at that deep level. Mm. So it's just research into that would be really interesting into just what what it is that's happening in our brains when we're connecting. Mm. Mm. How deep can someone go on Skype? Yeah, but I do think that digital, you know, as far as kids often being on Instagram or YouTube or games, um, they're, yeah, they possibly are losing some of that connection. Mm. Mm. You, you mentioned just um, before about the importance of psychologists and psychiatrists learning a bit about art therapy, not necessarily so they could do art therapy, mm-hmm. but so that they could recognise when it might be a good time to refer someone to an art therapist. Yeah, and I say that because in my the training <clears throat> course that I do at Continuing Education at Sydney Uni, I recently had a child psychiatrist in the course who'd just come along to get an understanding of what mm. art therapy was, and she came up and she said, you know, it would be great if this, even some of this was just taught in our training so that we could understand the importance of creativity um, and in accessing the inner world of of clients Um, not so that we can do it ourselves in her words um, but so that we can understand the importance of it right because it's not really touched on is it creativity is not usually not hugely so i mean that that's one one thing but i think um just a general increase in acceptance of people's creativity is a really important part of them. Mm-hmm. Is also cool. Mm-hmm. 
someone who's listening to this at home who has a sketchbook that they haven't touched in a few months or a few years, and they're like, oh, man, I... This, I, I feel like I really I'm, I feel like I'm really moved to just pull it out and just start mm. going and see what comes through but I don't know what to start with I don't know what mm. I want to make you know what I do when oh. I'm feeling like I need and I would recommend this for people who've had a hard day at work because it's just you know any anyone can do this but if you're just feeling like oh like you say I'm inspired or if you're coming home from work and feeling like oh I just need to reconnect with myself um, making an inner landscape is a really simple and mindful practice just to connect with what's going on inside and the way I do it is just with watercolors and some watercolor paper just mm-hmm. to get you know you can pick them up cheaply um a lot of two dollar shops have fairly good watercolors really and just making a little you know watercolor letting the paint flow and seeing what comes up with no expectation Mm. can be a good way to connect with yourself. But, again, you know, that's not art therapy. Right. But it's still fun. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be good. You know, what I like about watercolour is it's kind of, it flows around and, and you don't have a lot of control over it. And so it doesn't have that sense of kind of judgement behind mm. what it's going to end up as. Well, what is an inner landscape? What's going on inside? How are you feeling? Right. Mm. What colours are in there? Are the mm. colours you know, um, similar to a, a landscape outside or are they different? And how are they different? Right. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's not art therapy, but it's still fun. I think it's we definitely could, fun. We could definitely put that on a, on mm. a um, art therapy colouring book or two. <laughs> Don't stop me that art therapy colouring books like. <laughs> uh, you want to um, do you want do you want to do you want to say a quick word about these art therapy colouring books that are coming out? Oh, I don't think they're coming up too much anymore. I think they were around a couple of years ago, or maybe they still are. And I think they've been fantastic in that they've one brought the words art therapy into the vernacular, in like mm. common vernacular, but. At the same time, they haven't been fantastic in that they're not art therapy. Right. But they do have therapeutic aspects to them, as art does, and they can be quite a mindful pursuit, and I can absolutely get why people enjoy doing colouring in because it takes them back to that connection with their, you know, inner child. Um, and it's playful and it's, and it's you know, having the colouring books out there with... Um, you know, being sold to an adult market, that's like saying, hey, it's okay to connect with that little part of you. And I think that's great. But it's not art therapy. Not art therapy. But it is art therapy. It's, but it's, it's not uh, art therapy. Right, right. It, it's, it's art and it's therapeutic, but it's yeah. not the discipline or profession of no. art therapy. It's art as therapy. It's therapeutic art making. It's maybe mindfulness, but, yeah, it's not art therapy. Right. Liz, thank you. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much, Ike. It's been an absolute pleasure talking about my pet subject.
thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny. This is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.